Hi there, it's Amy Carlson, the Toxin Terminator, and I have had the privilege of working with Rachel Varga since I believe about July. Rachel and I met through a mastermind that we both belong to, and let me tell you, she has got the most beautiful skin I have ever seen from anyone. And if I was going to trust someone with my skincare and helping me develop that beautiful glow, that beautiful radiance from inside, it was going to be Rachel Varga. She is the walking example of doing exactly what she says. She's walking the walk and talking the talk. I was able to do a one-on-one -on -one consult with her, and I loved that she listened to my needs and my concern. As a plus 50-year-old woman, I knew that aging was something I needed to worry about. I knew that because of the things that I had done when I was younger, I certainly had been causing damage to my skin. And I also knew because of some of the products I had been previously using on my skin, I was also causing damage to my skin. She listened to my needs. She looked at what I had going on currently. And she also listened to my needs of wanting a more holistic approach to really taking care of my skin as I continue to age. And that was super important to me that she listened. Now I've been using her products now for at least the past 30 to 45 days. And I can see a huge difference already and know that there's still more forthcoming. I, I trust in the products that she has given me. I trust and the science behind what she does. And I trust in Rachel and I know you can too. Thank you. Welcome to the Rachel Varga podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Varga, double board certified aesthetic nurse specialist since 2011 with over 20,000 rejuvenation procedures performed. I'm an international clinical trainer for other physicians and nurses as well, celebrity skin expert, having been featured on some of the world's top proactive aging podcasts and much, much more. Learn more at rachelvarga.ca and enjoy today's episode. Welcome everyone to the Rachel Varga podcast. I'm your host. I'm thrilled to have you joining me here today. This is actually a session that I'm a little bit more excited for than usual because I'm going to bring into the conversation, you know, it is Easter Monday. So we're going to uh, pay our reverence and respects to that and warm welcome. If you're new here, we talk about all things body, mind, spirit, energy practices to bring forth a higher level of radiance and beauty. So we're going to be talking about how we can stay balanced in order to feel and look our best and be our most high vibe and radiant versions as we age and manage our evolving identity. We're going to be using the words evolving and aging actually interchangeably here. I don't want us to be afraid of aging, but we are going to talk about the fears of aging because as you know on the show, I do like to um, do shadow work and get into the shadows of really what is running sometimes in the subconscious and sometimes even what we've been programmed to perceive aging is and some things that we might want to um, unlearn and maybe look at differently. So to me, Easter Monday brings up the concept of resurrection and being reborn into a new form. And I have some interesting thoughts around balancing our physical and non-physical aspects of, as we age. The audience here is about 25% men, 75% women. And we go through different things as we age, primarily when we have kids, grandkids, retiring, loss of loved ones, traumas, all of these aspects do 
Um, all of these events do lend to both our physical and non-physical aspects. So we're going to talk about, you know, which one actually might be more important than the other. And uh, it'll, this is going to be a fun one. So thanks everyone for joining me here on the show. Please subscribe, like, share this episode with a friend and many blessings to you and your loved ones. I'm going to be talking, we're going to sit down with Dr. Fred Moss in a second here, who's a psychiatrist, and we're going to discuss how we can better serve ourselves and others and talk about this identity shift. Dr. Fred Moss is a psychiatrist, so I love talking about all things psychology of aging, the body, mind, spirit, energy stuff, and he has some great insights to share with us here today. And so let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Fred Moss is a holistic psychiatrist serving in many capacities, telepsychiatrist, speaker, psychiatry expert witness, telehealth educator, mental health coach, and filmmaker. A desire to help people has been the force leading him to various settings and roles as a psychiatrist over the years and compelling him to continually look for better, more effective ways to provide the highest quality of care. He is an amazing person behind the welcome to humanity and a global madness. I really want you guys to check out his podcast, Welcome to Humanity. I know the gents in the audience here are really going to resonate with some of the things he talks about too. A little bit off the cuff. I like that, you know, raw, real. This is what we need a little bit more of as opposed to these highly curated social media projections of ourselves to fit particular molds for one reason or another. So welcome to the show, Dr. Fred Moss. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. It's great to be here, Rachel. Thanks for having me as a guest. It's wonderful to see you. I look forward to our conversation. Let's let's bring it on. Absolutely. So let's just get into, you asked me when I was on your show, who are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's see who I am. I, I, uh, I came into this earth with a full-time job given to me in my first second of arrival. And that was, you know, my family, I had uh, parents and a couple brothers, 10 and 14 years old, who were just waiting for me to bring joy and communication and connection to a life that they tell me was in pretty serious disarray and chaos. So little Freddie's job was to sort of repair that family, I think. And uh, so I came in as a healer and I came in as a communicator and I came in as a joy producer. And I think I did a pretty good job for a while until, you know, my brothers probably got a little bit sick of me or, or whatever happened. And, um, you know, they love me and that's fine. And it was just like, you know, there I was always, I'm still, if you do the math, I'm still 10 and 14 years younger than both of them. And, uh, it, that hasn't changed through this whole ride, but, the thing that has happened is I just be really became enchanted and really became interested in communication as a way of getting things done. And I really saw early on that when people talk to each other and have conversations, that's when things happen. And I wanted to learn how to be a communicator. Uh, I, I really, you know, early on I was, you know, they, they gave me all sorts of tools before I went to elementary school. So I knew how to read and write and I knew how to do math when I started kindergarten. And this, kind of set me aside from the other kindergarten student, you know, kindergarten classmates who were throwing blocks and picking their nose. And, and I just wanted to read and, um, and, and learn. And, you know, I was throwing blocks and picking my nose too, but I also wanted to learn. And, 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 and when, when I really got through school uh, and really saw that I thought that was going to be the place where I learned how to communicate, but it didn't happen in elementary school. So I figured it might happen in junior high and I waited to be with the big kids. And by the time I became a big kid, I learned that junior high didn't work for communication either. 
So I was like, okay, high school, that's right. And then, of course, it didn't work that well in high school either, not in the classrooms anyways. And I did most of my communication outside of the classrooms. And, uh, you know, that's where I really learned how to be uh, who I became. Uh, the classrooms were kind of just like, you know, interjections in learning how to be uh, a highly educated person. <laughs> and then I went to University of Michigan with the hopes of learning how to communicate. And again, there it was a similar problem. Uh, the classrooms were not encouraging me to communicate. They were encouraging me to sit down, watch the professor, say what they say, you know, repeat what they say, regurgitate it exactly, and I get to pass as a good student. And that's not communication. It's not open discourse. I dropped out of school and uh, went like any good good uh, teenager or might have done and during that time and got on a Greyhound bus and went to Berkeley, California to find myself. And I did find myself. But I didn't have a job yet, so I tried college again, and it sucked again. So I dropped out again, and uh, I got a job as a child care worker. And this is really when my career started, I suppose. Um, I, it's funny that I say that because when I got it, it was on January 5th in 1980. And I, uh, I thought I'd only stay for three weeks, take up three paychecks for more orientation, and buy myself a Volkswagen, and then go driving around the country to figure out what my life was about, because that's really what I wanted to do. But in the fourth week, my friend encouraged me to go up to the floors and I began speaking with these kids, which really weren't kids. I mean, they were just human beings going through life just like me. And I was finally getting paid to be a communicator. And I loved communicating. I loved healing with my kids or with my patients, my clients and, and residents. And, um, you know, it was I had afternoon shifts. So we did all these great field trips. I, you know, walk them through dinner, walk them through nighttime and just have open conversations without administration there. It was just awesome, actually. But the thing that really sucked was the way psychiatry was treating these kids. You see, we would call the psychiatrist and say that Johnny was up too late or Jimmy and Timmy got in a fight. And then the psychiatrist would come down to the floor, um, you know, and have a three second conversation with Jimmy and then maybe a 10 second conversation with us. And then walk into the nursing home with his weapon. I mean, his weapon, which kind of looked like this, a pen. And uh, he would uh, write something in a chart and then we'd have to go find Jimmy, Timmy or Johnny and hold them down and then inject them full of some, you know, very high powered sedatives. And if he stayed entirely quiet for the next 12 or 24 hours in a stupor, then we would write that that was a success. And there's something so barbarous about that. And... It's still going on, by the way. That's not something in the past. It's going on in every hospital. In case you listeners don't think it is, it definitely is. And um, and it, it was something that I couldn't really tolerate. And so I made it my business. Eventually, I had I held down enough jimmies to make it my business that that wasn't going to be. I couldn't live life like that. So somehow I took a big breath in, and and for the next thirteen years, went back to learn how to be a psychiatrist so I could bring communication into the field. Unfortunately, another twist took place while I was in learned training, which was the introduction of Prozac took place in 1987. And I was halfway through my training and all of a sudden psychiatry was now a field of biological psychiatry or chemical imbalances. And we had these uh, rather laboratory based medications that we, you know, we were uh, advertising as being able to fix all discomfort. And we had it that being uncomfortable was your problem and that, you know, there was something wrong with you if you were uncomfortable, even, you know, sort of like blaming a log for, for burning in a fire. 
But in the meantime, there I was becoming an internationally renowned psychopharmacologist, which is so totally the opposite of why I went into psychiatry in the first place. And I wrote over 100,000 medication prescriptions in my career over the next 32 years. And I diagnosed over 40,000 people or at least confirmed diagnosis in that same setting. But there was a lot of duplicity. There was a lot of, you know, every time I wrote a prescription, I felt it in my heart. I knew I was out of line. I knew it wasn't really what I wanted. I tried to tell people, but they came to me. It's sort of like, you know, they came to me for what they wanted. And that's I'm the one to provide it. And so I couldn't really it was a it was a tough ride. In 2006, I began to take people off medicine and off their diagnosis and give them their life back. And I that was seen as being so radical. And I'm like, dude, how is it that you're more concerned with me taking people off of medicine than me putting people on medicine? Like how which one is more risky in reality? It's unbelievable, you know, but people started getting better reliably, way better way better. Diagnoses started disappearing. I did this over and over and over and over again and hundreds of patients and they all got better and almost, almost to almost a hundred percent. And when I say the ones who didn't get better, it's almost like there was usually an incentive to stay sick. You know, the system counts on someone to be sick. And when we, we build in a system like that, it's like a flat tire we get to blame everything on our sick family member or that person over there or a particular diagnosis. So sometimes there's uh, extra added secondary incentives to stay sick. Nothing wrong about that. It's just the way humans work, you know? And so those people weren't ready to get well. But over time, I really started to, you know, infuse communication and connection and creativity as the heart of all healing. And my practice since 2006 has really been an effort to kind of back out of a little bit of the conventional psychiatric model continuing to have, you know, sheer respect for mental health and what we can do for mental health, but really getting that psychiatry um, in the best of worlds is a field of communication because where healing takes place is uh, fundamentally, foundationally, and, and, you know, it's a prerequisite to all healing is uh, direct and total communication and connection with another human, all healing of all conditions of all types. And, uh, that's who I've been. So I created Welcome to Humanity and then stepping forward, we got Find Your True Voice and, and the We the People Summit. And now I'm a, a, a much more aligned with myself and I get to be that a level of alignment. And the whole thing works pretty good in a resonating way right now. It's because I get to be a healer instead of a doctor. I love practitioners like you who have transitioned from the traditionally trained Western model to incorporate more of the functional holistic aspects of care of the body, mind, spirit and energy, which is so cool. So I love in inquiring uh, through conversation and communication, which growing up was something I didn't really learn a lot of either only through the last number of years that I've actually invested in psychotherapy for myself and access psycho psychotherapy services has like been instrumental for me. And I love like every time I learn of something, it's what can we spin on this to talk about aging? And I'm really curious with you, given your background and having worked with so many clients, what are the best and worst pieces of advice you've come across when managing fears around aging? We're going to go a little Carl Jung here 
and get into the shadows of aging and really how we can feel into those fears, but then also how we can come out stronger and more resilient on the other side and maybe have a more enhanced perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, this aging process is really fascinating. And the fact that we're afraid of it is also even more deeply fascinating. I mean, we've been aging since we arrived here. It's one of the it's what's so interesting is like from the first second, that first second, little Freddie popped out. I've been aging. And when is it that I all of a sudden became concerned about aging um, is it seems a very weird and rudimentary um, uh, like mm, ubiquitous way of being that us humans have that we're afraid of death. And being afraid of death is, uh, you know, it's sort of natural, I guess, you know, you look at most living things and they do what they can to stay alive when they're faced with the, uh, a threat of their life. My cats or the spiders or, um, you know, animals out in the, in nature. And, and so we all want to stay alive. We have the survival instinct, but the idea is that aging is like on our way to death is what most people start looking at it. We're, we're really, if you want to look at it, we've been on our way to death, like the whole time. There's never been a time where we weren't on our way to death. In fact, the only thing that we have that we know is going to happen in this whole world is that we're going to die. That's, that's it. There's nothing, you know, some people say taxes that, that's a whole different story. Taxes are not inevitable, but for sure dying is inevitable. And uh, there's this idea of, you know, that fear, fearing that, like maybe we should slow down or maybe we should take it easy or maybe we should, you know, somehow respect that we're falling apart. Now, I think that that's some of the vice, you know, that don't don't push yourself so hard because you're no longer the machine you once were. That is not how I see aging at all. I just had the most massive training this morning of any time in my life. The shit that I did this morning with a medicine ball and with the kettlebell and with my push-ups and my, I mean, I did, I did shit this morning that no young Fred could ever do. And that's because I've aged to become who I am now. And, um, I, I don't have it that aging is a deteriorating process at all. It's a continuing, growing, evolving process. And it only will become deteriorating when I decide that it's deteriorating and then slow down because, oh, I'm too old. We treat ourselves as if we're cars, as if we're automobiles. Like for sure, there's obsolescence in our cars. But it's not for sure at all that you grow as you grow old, you get slower, worse or more fragile. I don't think that's certain at all. Now, if you take a bunch of medicine and, you know, and to take a bunch of toxic input from your eyes or your ears or your mouth or all the many ways that toxicities can show up, <laughs> you indeed will become um, more fragile. Uh, these medicines are not built to make you stronger, at least the ones that are created in, um, in pharmacological laboratories. Uh, you know, it's a whole different story perhaps with, uh, plant and nature medicines, but, uh, with the medicines that are created in, in the laboratories, these things are not meant to keep you stronger and surviving and revitalizing, uh, neurotropes. And, you know, I know you talk, like talking about biohacking. I saw uh, my good friend Dave Asprey up there and, uh, the, these are, there are ways to continue to move forward in life and to grow, evolve and, uh, move forward, you know, like actually, <clears throat> actually move towards aging with 
wisdom and with uh, sage-like qualities, with having lived a life. There are people, people now look for me. I got this beard now, you know, the beard is like, it's like a mark of my wisdom. I get to own this beard with pride. Like, yep, 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 y'all. I, I indeed earned this beard. I, I had this life and now I get to be uh, an elder. And wow, what a cool place to be actually is to own eldership. Do you want to know something really funny? Mm. As women age, we get beards too. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, menopause, right? Darkness, uh, the upper lip, the chin, you get those gray whiskers. So it's not just for the gents for That's being right. able to grow the beards. I wanted to throw that in there. I also wanted to talk about fear and da living dangerously because there have actually been some cellular studies that when uh, living organisms are actually actually subjected to changes in their chemical temperature environments, they actually respond better. And it almost mm -hmm. like creates this like this innate biochemical um, mm -hmm. consciousness resiliency. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, especially like over the last two years, it's really, I think, shown a lot of us the like what, what we're made of, you know, how big our kahunas are to be able to be able to stay resilient. And I think that these like stressors and why I do four by fouring and things like that is a little bit of danger, I think is really good for you. And I, I think what you alluded to is, you know, sometimes as people age, they think, oh, no, I can't do any of that stuff anymore. It's too adventurous. I might get hurt. But I was, you know, on the Wanda Fuca Trail last week, and there were two 65 year old ladies that had just done their day four. And that is like a pretty treacherous hike. Like I even noticed that that kind of, you know, really irritates my knees carrying a big pack and things like that. So what would you say is like the, the sort of like the, the creme, the essence of how we can stay balanced in order to feel and look our best and be our most hybrid, high vibe and radiant versions. And just for a moment, think of your most vibrant and radiant clients, like a, a group of them, I'm, I'm sure you can think about them. What are some of the qualities that they have and the lifestyles that they employ that allow them to be their most balanced, vibrant, radiant versions? Yeah, it's a really good idea. You know, it's a really good point, this idea of doing risky things, or yeah, I think risky is a little bit easier to swallow than dangerous. You know, there's something about, um, uh, getting out there. I like, you know, I have a couple, I've done a couple vision quests in the last few years and they're, they're, you know, me and nature and maybe one, one other person. And, and uh, there's a particular site I like to go to. I've done two of them there where really that's the story. There's me and one other person and that's it for two miles. Um, and, you know, rocks and trees and, and stars and bugs and bears and the whole deal. And, um, there is something about keeping our senses alive, like, you know, being really uncomfortable with being comfortable and then also being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like the idea of really getting that being on you know, stressing ourselves to the edges is what creates that vibrancy. We get so addicted in the present Western culture to this notion that comfort is what we seek. And I think we're going to, brush up a little bit now with that, with the shadow work that you talked about. But the idea is 
the seduction of comfort does not necessarily promote growth and development and does not promote, you know, um, uh, a, a proper strong evolution. It is in the stretches like today when I'm when I'm lifting up that freaking kettlebell in, in round four, uh, you know, 20, 20 reps, four rounds. Um, I can't even believe I lift that thing up once. Actually, it's it's pretty heavy and and. And, uh, there's something about being on those edges is where, is where we, you know, regain or rediscover our vitality. So it's kind of like balance. It really requires pushing ourselves to the edges and just beyond and balancing on that razor's edge. You don't want to over push yourself. There's no reason for me to like, you know, cause an injury or to create that. I can't mobile can't be loc loc locomote you know there's uh there but there's really a a way of getting out in nature a way of pressing ourselves and not being so caught up in the in the seduction of comfort we spent these days so much time sitting on our butts looking at computers and thinking that we're in a relationship and that's just a way to really i i think that is a way to deteriorate somewhat so getting up doing some physical work and doing some reading doing some writing doing some conversations exploring new depths new areas of life um that's i think the best way to stay balanced is continue to explore and um, be on an adventure you know be curious have you noticed in some of your clients that are doing really well that their actual skin looks better, looks mm -hmm. vibrant? And I think it's because the body, mind, and spirit are less toxic. So I'm just curious if you've actually identified what I think my kind of like life's work of unpacking is radiance. How would you explain radiance in your experience? Well, it's funny, and that's a pretty good question. I appreciate that. I I know that there's there are some people that come to mind, some people that you know, rather famous people that I've been in the same room with, and uh, when they walk into the room, whether or not you're looking at the door they just walked in, the whole room sort of shifts because they're bringing in an essence. And then there's other people you you in fact qualify as this who just just radiate energy, you know, just radiate a a, a shiny energy, an energy of um, enlightenment in some ways. Um, and, and I think that that just emanates, there's a, there's a life force that we talk about. And, you know, there's, there's something like if you keep your machine clean, if you keep the channels open, if you do your very best to when you're dirty, you know, when, when you've, um, you know, when you've had some toxins come in and these days we're just flipping bombarded with toxins. There's, there is toxins at every turn. There is toxins in our viewfinder, view in what we hear, in what we taste, in what we take in our nose. All senses are just bombarded with toxins, what we touch. And um, so staying clean is, is as much as possible, meaning getting out to raw nature, getting to places that are clean and, embra and, and embracing it, embedding ourselves in it. So radiance is, it's like a... Uh, it's like a shining star, I suppose, but, and, and we know what it is. And I guess I know when I'm being radiant and, you know, all I have to do is have a bad day of like eating crap for a day. And the next day I'm not as radiant as I was yesterday. It's, it's true. But if I wake up and drink my lemon water and dude, you know, pound some celery juice and, 
you know, take care of my, uh, you know, maybe my bulletproof coffee to give Dave a push again or, or uh, you know, and really just monitor myself and exercise or at least move, um, read and write and do the things that are non-toxic in nature or at least less toxic in nature. Uh, radiance is, uh, it's not something that I can effort forward it's a response to me taking really good care of this vessel called me you know yeah our meat suit i actually love to get dirty and literally making a fire i have dirt and soot all over my hands sometimes i have to actually wear gloves so i actually protect my skin or you know working under my vehicle what we call in the four by four world rig checks so i'll get my slider i'll put the vehicle in extended mode so i don't have to jack it up i can just sneak in under there and you know inspect things i'm knocking around making sure all my connections are in place so i don't have a mechanical breakdown and sure enough when you go looking for something you will find something but i come out from under the vehicle and i'm just covered in like bits of grit and dirt you know stuff that was on the road that i drove over and that stuff is actually really good for you because mm -hmm. when we s expose ourselves to sometimes things like um, healthy toxins like in nature and all that it really actually helps to support our microbiome it's actually super simple and you talking about doing some of your plant medicine journeys I think that that's great. And for me doing something like that, like a, a, a big experience like that, I don't know if that's necessarily in my path. I just I think I'm kind of already always tuned in in a way that's just right for me. So uh, but you never know that might evolve. Right. And the whole theme of what we're talking about today is aging being synonymous with evolution and to not be mm -hmm. afraid of that and the whole theme of easter monday and resurrection and and the ascension and, and the changes that we go through as humans to not be afraid of but to embrace them mm -hmm. yeah it's we this idea of you know one of the things i mean the vision quest wasn't always about plant medicines just to be clear but um you know uh, my uh my experience with with both plant medicine and nature medicine is that sometimes the fire is the medicine. I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes the horsefly is the medicine. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't have to be ayahuasca or peyote or, you know, combo to be a really important plant medicine, psilocybin, et cetera. Um, you know, medicine comes in many forms. And the idea is, is that... Uh, Somehow, yeah, pushing the edge beyond the seduction of just safe comfort is important. But then also being being somewhat realistic about it, too. So, you know, the, the, the on the edges, perhaps like jumping out of a plane without a parachute, it's just not a really good idea. Calculated risks. Calculated the, risks. Yeah. I mean, jump, jumping out of a plane with a parachute. That isn't, that's not a bad idea at all. That's it. That makes a lot. Everyone I've ever talked to who does it, it says that it's amazing. You know, I personally haven't done it yet, but it sort of looks like it's on the fringes of something I could do even soon. Um, and uh, there's just like, and, and that's, and that's only a, an easy one to talk about. There's so many things in life, including just having that conversation with your loved one, you know, actually speaking to that thing, which you've never told them. Uh, can be pretty risky 
or not just the loved ones in the community. Like your view on a particular issue might be really welcome. It might be really timely. It might be really like required. And uh, it, it's a risk to bring forth your real view because um, we, we have this ludicrous notion that pretending to be someone that we're not protects the person that we are. And that's just hilarious. That's just it's just another one of humanity's hilarious responses to life. Like, I, I'm sorry, did you just say you're going to pretend to be someone that you're not in order to protect the person that you are? Is that like, okay. Or and like I know how social media avatar, but when you are risking, you put aspects of yourself out there that are unique and are pure to you. You'll simply attract more of that. Like I can't, I can't even like tell you how grateful I am to work with the clients I work with because I have been a little bit brave and put aspects of myself out there that are unique. And yeah, it's a little bit risky sometimes, but when it's done in a pure way, it does end up working out. Exactly. And done in a pure way, just like moving the needle forward, advancing the conversation, heading towards a direction that's intended, uh, creating a unified intention um, with another person or a group of people. It is an, an amazing experience. That resonance of connecting with one or many other folks is uh, there's very few things that mm, that really rival that. In fact, maybe that's the whole point. And that's the whole point of lovemaking. It's the whole point of friendships. It's the whole point of uh, partnerships of all level is this idea of really deeply connecting with another person because that's what we're here to do. Yeah, humans, we're not meant to be locked up in our homes for long periods yeah. of time. Don't even get me started of, you know, not being able to go to church. Oh, what yeah. was that all about? Yeah. But we're finding our tribes. If we just look, we'll find it. My tribe where I feel in greatest resonance is sitting in a room of like 500 alternative health practitioners. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really great when you get when you get that opportunity, and you know, the, let's look at a moment at this world at this word alternative. Um, it's so interesting how we as people have come into thinking that what convention, like who stole the word conventional, like how did you get how did you get to call that conventional treatment because. You know, I, I, and I'm not even sure it's one of the, it's like a jaw dropping that conventional treatments got labeled as being like the the central way to do things because uh when we say alternative we start looking at things that actually work and um that's a it's a huge difference between alternative and conventional is that um alternative treatments reliably work <laughs> yeah i mean it's going to be unique for everybody so the, the thing that i'm really interested in is this age-old quest for not aging and in fact um on my 1970s guiding light edition bible here um jesus said i am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me through though he were dead yet shall he live and whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die john 11 25 26 hmm. shall never die so Okay, let's dive into that a little bit. What's more important, looking after our meat suit or looking after our emotional, mental, and spiritual aspects of ourselves? What was the first one? Looking after the 
looking after our meat suit. So like our physical form or yeah. the non-physical, what, what's more important? Because I feel like the physical is definitely going to change and yes, it will deteriorate over time. And then I almost feel like sometimes as we age, when the body lets us down a little bit, if we can just bolster up the mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of ourselves, it can almost like work that out and balance it almost like the Le, Chatel Le Chatelier's equation of if there's, you know, less reactants, it's, it, there's going to be, um, basically, it's going to look for another way to keep things in equilibrium. So body, mind, spirit, energy equals whole human. So if any of those reactants are kind of like the, the physical form wavers a little bit, the other ones are going to kick things up. That's mm -hmm. how I look at it, um, balancing. And I know that that's a topic that you're really um, quite wonderful at talking about is staying balanced. Yeah. Yeah, this, I don't know, you know, I'm probably way better at talking about it than doing it for myself. So let's make that very clear. There are certainly part of the reasons that I talk about balance is because I've been imbalanced so many times and so consistently at various times in my life and not even know it. So we like to think that we are already balanced. We like to think, you know, we like to like, this is balance. This is the best I can do. And in truth, it is true that how things are going right now, um, it's as balanced as it is. It's it's true. You're doing your very best to be balanced. This is what it looks like on that. When you really start looking at body, mind, and spirit and physical, you know, uh, things we can do physically are things that we can do spiritually, things that we can um, really take on to, like, enhance overall balance. It kind of means that we're going to have to take on the things that we otherwise fear. Uh, you know, we're going to have to like, you know, or things maybe that we didn't want to do. So I know that when I'm exploring, I, when I lift up a rock, whether that's in a relationship or in reality in nature, when I start really looking at what's, what's over there, can I give up on the things that I think I know? That's, what's really important. Can I really realize that I don't know anything? And I especially don't know the things that I know that I know. When I can get rid of the things that like my commitment to knowing that I, at least I know the things that I know that I know, when I can get rid of those, like when I can take on being openly curious and wondering about the world around me, um, then nature takes its way. Like uh, going back to my workout today, I have, um, you know, with this kettlebell and, and this medicine ball and all these pushups and stuff is I realize that I'm activating my right side, actually. My right side is a little weaker than my left. It has been my whole life. And what's happening is that my right side is becoming healed for the first time in 64 years. Like, I was never as healed as I am now. It's like when given an opportunity, my body, my mind, my spirit, driven by the life force, will tend towards balance. It's where it wants me. So there's also something in just being um, aware and listening more than with my ears to what's being called for. And, you know, what is, and, and really the cleaner I am, the more precise I can listen to what's next to take in so that I can be balanced. So what's more important, the physical or non-physical? I don't think that's a fair question. I think they're both really important. The vessel that we carry around needs to be cared for in order to provide access to the non-physical nature of what it is to be human and the, the lot you know the non 
physical nature is where the there's so much magic in both the physical and non-physical. One of the things we can learn as our consciousness expands is the very high likelihood that this whole idea of death is misperceived in this three-dimensional world entirely. And that we see it as the end. It was something we better hurry up and avoid something that is the failure of life. And it's, again, I think what we're buzzing around here as we look at aging or we look at balance is, or is this idea that what if you were no longer afraid of dying? What if, what if here's my goal at least my stated goal romantically it would be super cool if this is how it goes is that i would like to die uh, the day that i would die i don't want to hurry into death or be ready or avoid it you know it's like i want to be on the day that i die i want to be like no hurry to jump in and no wish not to be there like somehow have that balance in place when that judgment day comes um so I, I, the easy answer to physical versus non-physical is to say non-physical, but the truth is the, the, the physical nature of our body taking care of this thing that they, you know, that got given to us as our vessel is really important to, um, to access the non-physical components as well. Yes. I love a few things that you said. I also feel like I know nothing. When I talk to my parents and they're telling me all this stuff that they're hearing about on the news, I'm like, how do you know that's a, that's actually true? It's on the other side of the world. How do you know that what you're being told is actually true? So I have this perspective of, I literally feel like I know nothing. And taking a little bit more of like a neutral approach to certain things that are going on in the world, because if I've learned anything over two years, it's definitely can't trust anything. Get a lot of free information out there. <laughs> it's not always good information. And to not be afraid to be wrong. It's like having this detachment from the so-called truth. It's like, I do not have my ego in this camp. If say I'm wrong about this for certain choices that I made, I'm fine with being wrong. In fact, I invite it because I'll probably learn something about it. I, I mean, I'd rather hope not be wrong. But you also talked about um, life. And, and I think that life and being a human now and being able to experience all these senses in the physical form, I do think it's a gift that we have been given. And um, to be respectful and be uh, have reverence to that. And I also feel like death is almost like just this beginning of not mm -hmm. a beginning, but almost like a continuation. But we're just kind of making a pit stop on Earth in our in our meat suits. And we want to look good and feel good in the process. And there's all these cool things that we can uh, enjoy and discover about ourselves. And you also talked about crossing over. And I've actually done prep work on this, on the concept of, of crossing over. And there's some interesting things that go along with that just in my personal journey. Uh, I experienced death as really at a really young age. I held my grandfather's hand as he passed away at home. My mom's a nurse. We had the palliative response team. That's actually what got me into nursing was uh, palliative care. And to be a palliative nurse and to, and uh, the same thing actually also happened with my, my Nana a few years later, uh, to be a palliative nurse requires you to get into a room, to walk into a room and read the room and read the dynamics so that you can tailor your care accordingly. And everything you're doing is done to help that individual have a peaceful crossing over and to be comfortable 
And so what is the number one thing that we can do to help humanity and ourselves at this time? I think the number one thing that we can do to help humanity and ourselves at this time is to come in touch with our authentic selves and then share it with at least one other person. I, you know, it, it, I don't know that there's anything more important. You know, we've been spinning around like tops. We've been, you know, choosing to say and be people that we're not or choosing and say, you know, choosing and, and speaking and being um, certain ways because that's what we should do or that's what they, you know, that's what's wanted from us. In these difficult times, there's something about really finding our true selves. And that can happen through meditation. It can happen through clean living. It can happen through just being true and honest. If you ask yourself, if you were learning that you were going to die today, uh, what would you do with the rest of the day? And more than likely, one of the things you would do is you'd go find somebody that you love and you'd tell them some truth. Uh, I guarantee you wouldn't tell anybody a lie. You see, that's the thing. You, you, this is not how you would spend your last few minutes lying. Uh, you may spend the last few minutes defending yourself. I could see that being possible. But in the end, what we're really in, in touch with is our truth, our authentic message, our core value, our true voice. And the opportunity to speak that openly to at least one person and resonate with the love and respect and honor that comes with another person connecting with you is uh, not only a, a personal, um, it's not only like a, a personal gift, but it is what's required to take on all of humanity's calamities right now. Uh, we have monumental monumental catastrophic you know threats going on uh in the world right now or at least that's what they tell us and if that's true then what's here is conversations all that's left to take on those things so again practicing conversations making incremental movements towards being even more true with yourself when you're speaking to another I, I can't think of anything really more important than speaking one's true voice in these difficult times. Absolutely. And as you were saying that, I was just thinking to myself, like, how lucky am I to be able to talk to all of you tuning into the show here and speak my truth because I know how much it helps me. And if you're in resonance with this, you're tuning into the show, it's not by accident. And I'm sure that what you are learning here in this conversation and on the show here is going to help you. But I also want to mention that we live in a world of duality, good, bad. So for all of the crazy calamities that are happening, it's theatrics these days, one thing after another. And it's like that lens of, okay, this is the super important thing in the world that like every legacy media is talking about. And then, oh, next week, it's going to be something else. Just wait, next week, it'll be something else. When you take that more bird's eye approach, you don't get caught up in what's going on so that you can continue to live. And just remember, for every not so good thing that's going on in the world, there's a really good thing that's countering that. And, you know, that's really kind of what I aim to do a little bit as well is, you know, be that balance bringer. So how can we manage our identity as we age? None of us really know what we're doing while we're aging. You know, aging to every single one of us is foreign. So what are a few strategies and lifestyles that you've seen your most vibrant clients employ to work through this like fear of aging? Yeah. Again, I think the next space, sort of like the easiest answer for this is maybe the best answer. And I think 
the best thing to do is just be of service everywhere. Like if you're at the point where you're afraid that you're aging, that's because you've lived a full life already. And it's time for you to, you know, if you're not looking at the possibility of your one's mortality of your mortality, well, you have a lot to give and a lot to offer. So again, uh, uh, one of the personal ways to grow through this, and it's, it is, it's just a, a wonderful experience to help anybody do anything. Um, we don't know what we're doing when we're aging. We didn't know what we were doing when we arrived here. We don't know what we're doing ever. And anyone who presents to pre it's, as if they do is entirely full of junk, really. And so a few, the few, you know, the few strategies include coming to grips with that and then being like helping another, if a person actually has an idea that they need another person in order to get something done, or you could see that they really want another person that would really assist them to get what they want. then just go ahead and do that. I mean, even if it's sharpening someone's pencil or going to get someone's groceries, um, that can be really, really large. And I, I think that once we start realizing that giving is the best way, not only, giving is the highest form of receiving, not only in that the other person will reciprocate, but in the act of giving is the highest form of receiving. Then I, again, true voice and then service. I don't know that. I just, I, I'm not sure that I have anything greater than just true voice and service to, to stay balanced, stay vibrant and, uh, and uh, be effective and have a life that works and, and, you know, be adventurous and wonder and be curious and, you know, actually, uh, take some risks, but take some risks as your true self, you know, take some risk as, uh, take some risks to even become more the you that's interested in you than you've been up until this point. Mm -hmm. All right. How can we actually live? Because I'm sure you've seen this people, they're moving around. They're like walking zombies. Mm -hmm. I see this on the side of the road. I drive past people and they're just mm -hmm. like, they have something covering their face. It's like they have this like dead look in their eyes. It's like, is this person just like literally on autopilot as like a slave robot? I'm seeing that so much now and it, it does break my heart, but we all have a choice and people are going to choose to do this. They're going to choose to do that. We are, we just moved through a huge human bifurcation choice point. Next is going to be transhumanism. So hold on. So how do we how can we actually live and not just be moving around in this meat suit? And what are a few ways we can balance our evolving, aging, physical and non-physical selves? Well, I think it's at least the obvious space. Again, there's an obvious space in the world of nutrition. What you put into your mouth is it's so easy to put bad things or good things into your mouth. Uh, you know, good things taste good, too. And sometimes, most of the time, actually, if they're really good, they taste remarkably better than bad things. And so there's something like really start with, you know, start with moving, like keep that body moving, but also start with taking in the things that really, mm, uh, really nourish you, you know, really are nourishing. So um, uh, and they bring you joy. What's that? And that bring you joy, like you exactly said, the thing, the things that bring you joy, yeah. And it, it's really important to do that. It's really important to, uh, you know, step in, be curious, go help others, get up in the daytime um, or wherever you're. You know, if you're a night worker, that's fine too. Like, get up when you're done. Oh, resting is super key too. Like, this is not a matter of like you know, burn out the life on this side of rest. Like, when it's time to sleep and rest, you should get yourself some good sleep and some good rest. 
And, you know, so watch what you eat, watch what you watch, watch who you hang out with. Uh, if you're hanging out with, you know, with uh, energy vampires, it's time for you to step away from those folks. Um, you know, they, you got to go. You got to go and cut that ish out. Yeah, exactly. It's really important, really important because the people you hang around with really do define how, who you get to be. So when you I'm lucky enough these days to be hanging around with really wonderful, powerful, amazing, inspiring, influential, like loving people. And um, but it's taken some excising of people who weren't that you know i've had to just say goodbye or disappear or and it's like go have a life and they might be good with other people but for me it wasn't working so i now have found myself really surrounded with powerful people and my goodness in these difficult times there's nothing more important than that so uh people are showing their their true colors right that's right exactly yeah yeah so I think that that's really important too. So who we surround ourselves with and what we do with our time, make sure you read some, make sure you write, maybe writing in a journal is great. And we can really uh, continue to grow and evolve and not, not head towards a deteriorating pathway to death because it's not inevitable at all that that's how this goes. Totally. All right. So last question. And I'm really excited for, you know, a bit of a, a drop here. What's the number one threat to humanity's collective health at this time, but also a bit of a benediction. How can we combat it effectively now? Again, I think the number one threat to humanity's collective health is that we're quiet. And it's really important that we speak and we can, don't have to speak through words only. You can do creative uh, speaking as well music, art, dancing, singing, drama, cooking, writing, gardening, all the things that we do to create are really important. So continuing to be creative. The number one threat to humanity's collective health is that we're just, we're, become, you know, we're, 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 we're not fighting back and we're not saying what's important to us. And uh, if we choose collectively to continue to not fight back and just, you know, fall in and fall out and then, um, Humanity's kind of doomed, uh, you know, it, it doesn't look that good for humanity. Like, like if you just stay quiet and just do what you're told, then that might not work out very well in the end here. So there's an opportunity, not necessarily to push back against authority, but just speak your true self. Just speak to it. Just like learn, just to ask questions, to be with others, listen to adversaries, like listen to people who are on the other side of the coin as if it really matters that they, you can't, you cannot cause damage by listening to another person. So that's really important too. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on the show, Dr. Fred Moss. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here. And for some of us, not going with the mass is actually easier. And for some people going with what the, um, you know, what, what the majority is doing is easier for them. But for some of us, it's actually harder uh, because it's kind of like going against our grain. And I would just love to have you share how people can work with you, how people can see your work as well and keep the conversation and connection and communication going with you as well. Sure. So um, I have a number of places where I can be reached. Um, You know, the easiest way is to email me, Dr. Fred, drfred at welcometohumanity.net. I'm also creating a circle community these days called true-voice.circle.so. And that's a great place to hang out where there's people who are interested in uh, communicating effectively and uh, listening to others and really upgrading their communication game. So true voice uh, 
true-voice.circle.so. There's my website, which is welcome to humanity.net. And then there's my book, which is find your true voice book dot on uh, find your true voice book.com. And uh, your listeners can actually get a free copy if they're interested in that. If you want to learn a little bit more about what find your true voice is about. And uh, I, I really enjoyed writing that book and it's a cool way to look at a little bit more in depth of how I've gotten to be a healer instead of a doctor. And if after reading that book, uh, you want to have a conversation, I, I do have a space or two still left for some coaching clients. I love to speak this stuff into podcast guesting and into um, speaking engagements. Uh, so if there's a group that you'd like me to speak to, I love doing that. It's the time is now. I mean, it's not, this isn't even about me. This is about waking up people that if we don't speak, then no one will know us. And, um, it, you know, the, I think Thoreau said it best that uh, the mass of men uh, live lives of quiet desperation and go to their graves with their songs still in them. And I just think that's the greatest tragedy of humanity is to actually go to your grave without anyone ever actually knowing you. So it's time to speak their true voice. And that's, I'm really excited to talk to any of your audience members, but it's real, also been just a deep pleasure to have this conversation with you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here on the show, Dr. Fred Moss. I look forward to having you back on as well. And Dr. Fred Moss's website is in the description box of this episode here. So wishing everyone a happy Easter Monday. I hope that you all have a great day. Stay vibrant, stay radiant. And I'll see you guys in the next episode right here on the Rachel Varga podcast.